it's amazing how much more awake you are the week after daylight savings time. It's, it's actually cool how that works. Only 51 more weeks till you lose another hour of sleep, so that's a good thing. Hey, a lot of good stuff going on. You heard Pastor Marissa share about Adopt-A-Block, which is one of our great outreaches. If you're newer here, that is an incredible opportunity for you to meet some of the church family, get outside the walls of the church together and make a difference together. It's a fun time. It's, it's outside. It's great. Uh, so that's going on. But also, Easter is coming up. We have two things that we use to celebrate Easter and keep Jesus the center of our, our Christmas Easter season. And that is Good Friday, which is going to be Friday, April 7th. Is that right? April 7th? April 7th at Picket on Court in downtown Florence on Court Street. We have Stations of the Cross. Yes, what is Stations of the Cross? It's a multiple stations that walks you through the life and the Passion Week of Jesus leading up to the resurrection. It's it's done with artworks. You'll be able to reflect and contemplate on your own time between noon and 8 p.m. Just come and go as you please. You and your family can go through the different stations, pray together, talk about it. Last year, me and RJ went through it. We talked about each station, kind of what it meant to him, and he asked questions. We went back and forth. So it's a great teaching moment, but then you have communion as a family together there at the end. So that's from 12 to 8. But Easter Sunday, we're having three services 8 a.m. with no chapel kids, so uh, we're trying to make room uh, for all the people that come on Easter Sunday, so there'll be no chapel kids at 8 a.m., but 9.30 a.m. and then 11 a.m., there'll be full chapel kids as well. And so we need your help, though, helping us get the word out out because we know that Easter is a day that many people, even if they don't normally come to church or don't think about Jesus, are thinking about Jesus and the resurrection. So it's a great chance for us to present the gospel and hopefully get them connected to Jesus and to his family, the church, in multiple ways. So we're asking you to grab one of these invite cards when you leave today and take it, share it with a family member, a friend, or post it on social media, you know, and tag a friend that you want to invite, or you want to sit with you, uh, your sons or daughters, maybe you have, that are away from God, or maybe a neighbor that doesn't go to church, or maybe, you know, at the gas station, you meet somebody, or you're at a restaurant, and you got to leave a tip, make sure you leave a full tip, but you can also leave one of these, don't be one of those stingy Christians that, instead of tipping, you leave something Christianese, don't be that person. Uh, and so we're going to do that, but we don't want just this to be a, a marketing thing. We want to pray over these. And so we're going to pray. And as you leave, I'll just pick one up. But Father, we thank you for the Easter season that reminds the entire world that you have conquered death, hell, and the grave. And even those, Father, who don't follow you, even those that don't normally think about you, they know Easter is coming. And Father, I pray for every single lost person. Every prodigal son, every prodigal daughter, every lost neighbor, student, teacher, co-worker, and stranger that these invite cards go to, Father, that you've preordained, you are destined these cards to get in people's hands that are seeking answers about life, eternity, and sin, and righteousness, and hope, and promises. And I pray the right cards get to the right people. And I pray you use these people to do the work of an evangelist, to get your word outside of these walls into the community around us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. If you have your Bible, you should Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3 is where we're going to be at today. As you're turning there, you know, fire, you know, we're not in fire season and campfire season or anything like that yet, but fire has always been a, a natural draw to people. If you have a bonfire, people want to come to the bonfire. The campfire, people leave their tents, come to the campfire. And so it's always been a draw. Even in the stone age, they had gods of the fire that were deities of the fire. And so since the first time somebody accidentally rubbed two sticks together and boom, there was a fire, men have been playing with fire ever since. Our son, RJ, you know, when he was younger, we were big Bear Grylls fans on the Discovery Channel. So Bear Grylls, one episode, 
he takes a nine volt battery and some steel wool and hits it against it and makes a fire immediately. So RJ was probably four years old at the time. I didn't think anything of it. The next day I come home, he's in the backyard. He's aluminum foil, not the wool, and a double A battery, not a nine volt battery, trying to start a fire in our backyard on our privacy fence. Thank God it didn't work because our whole neighborhood would have burned down. A couple years ago, this is like last year, him and Aid Little, who think they're the coolest guys in the world, RJ says, Dad, I'm going to start a fire. I was like, you can't start a fire at our house. I come home, he starts a fire anyway. The problem is he didn't start the fire in our yard. He actually started in the neighbor's yard. And that's why they think he is Dennis the Menace. And so uh, people are drawn, if I were attractive, by fire. And so it's interesting in the Bible that when God tries to describe himself, he doesn't have the words to say who he is. Like even in the scripture, Moses asked him, he said, who are you? He says, I am who I am. He doesn't have the words to say who he is. So many times in the Bible, he'll use analogies or symbols to say, well, I'm like this, or God is like this. And so because he's invisible, he's ineffable, he cannot tell us what he is. He can only tell us what he is like. In the Bible, he normally tells us he is like a fire. Even though he's not a fire, he's like a fire that brings light into the darkness, that brings warmth to cold moments and cold seasons, that brings energy, that brings hope when you're lost, that brings a guiding light, that he is like a fire. You see it throughout the Bible, whether it's with Moses in the burning bush, whether it's with the Israelites as they're leaving, he's a fire at night and a cloud by day that leads them out. Whether that's at the temple, when, when David dedicates the temple, there's a fire that comes down. Elijah, when he burns up the, the sacrifice of Baal, it's a fire on the day of Pentecost. It's like flames of fire, tongues of fire upon the heads of the disciples. For some reason, God chooses fire to be one of his primary symbols of what he is like. And so in the scripture, I think it's interesting how God tends to reveal himself. So in Exodus chapter 1, or chapter 3, verse 1, I'm going to read about verse 15. It says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. And came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord. Everybody say angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned, talking about Moses, turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Now the ground's not holy because it's special. You know, this church is not holy ground because it's special. Holy ground is anywhere the presence of God is. And since the presence of God was on this ground, it happened to be holy. When the presence of God is in this room, it's holy. When the presence of God is in you, you're holy. He said, take off your sandals for this place is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he's afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen, everybody say seen. God God is a God who sees. The affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard, everybody say heard. He hears our cry because of their taskmasters. He says, and I know their suffering. Everybody say no. He knows your suffering. He knows our suffering. He knew their suffering. He says, I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land flowing with milk and honey to the place 
of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you, is the call of Moses. Come closer to me and I will send you. Every call of God starts with coming closer to him. You come close to me and then I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to him, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you and this shall be a sign for you. I have sent you. When you have brought the people of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. Now, now Moses' story is, is an incredible story. When you look at movies, you've seen movies, The Prince of Egypt, The Ten Commandments, movies about Moses' life. But it's an incredible story of this man who was born to a Hebrew woman. At the time, the Hebrews were overpopulating Egypt, And so the Pharaoh was scared of the strength and the power and the numbers of the Hebrew children. So they started killing off the firstborn children or the children of the Hebrews to make sure they couldn't continue to grow more powerful than the Egyptians. And so as they were trying to kill off these young children, Moses' mom takes this incredible, incredible sacrifice to protect her son's life in kind of the first giving up of adoption we see in the Bible. She takes Moses, puts him in a basket, and sends him down the Nile River. Now, when you think of the Nile River, I think of alligators jumping up trying to eat this little baby in this little basket. And she watches from afar as the water is carrying her little baby, her pride and joy. As she watches, the basket kind of comes up to the shore, and Pharaoh's daughter is out bathing. She finds this baby. It's a Hebrew baby. And she decides she wants to adopt this baby as her own child. And she takes baby Moses and she needs to feed him, which is, you know, at this time breastfeeding, nursing these babies. But she couldn't because she wasn't the real mom. So she asked for a Hebrew to feed her baby. And it happens to be the Hebrew that feeds her baby is actually Moses' mom. So what she thought she was giving up, God actually redeemed that she got to keep feeding and nursing her baby. And so he was born in Egypt he was raised in the culture of Egypt in Pharaoh's house, but he was nursed through Israel. And you need to know this in our day and age, this is vitally important for us, that in the day and age, our kids are not born in Jerusalem. They're not born in Christianity culture anymore. They're born in the heaps of Egypt with all the false gods, all the propaganda, all the evil, all the stuff that they're raised in Egypt but as long as you nurse them as Israel, as you nurse them with the word of God, you nurse them with the faith, you nurse them with hope, that it's going to be inside of him. So this was inside of Moses. Even though he's raised in Pharaoh's house, he was nursed by the faith of the Israelites, and it was inside of him, and it began to consume him as he got older. He realizes he's a Hebrew, and he walks outside. There's an Egyptian beating and oppressing a Hebrew. And that Israel inside of him, that faith that, that's in my people inside of him, reaches out for justice and kills this Egyptian. People find out about it. They start talking about him killing this Egyptian. He gets scared. Now Pharaoh's looking for him. So he takes off and he runs. So this, this prince in the house of Pharaoh is now running as a convict, a runaway from Pharaoh because of that Israeli nature inside of him. He ends up on the backside of the desert. 
He meets the, the, the priest of Midian, marries his daughter. And next thing you know, he's walking through the desert for 40 years. 40 years, he's just shepherding some sheep. And as he's shepherding these sheep on the backside of the desert, a lonely experience, uh, an isolation experience, a silent experience, all of a sudden he comes to this burning bush at 80 years old. He's been wandering, he's been wondering, and at 80 years old, God begins to redeem his story and to give him his purpose. You know what that tells me? You are never too old for God to redeem your life. And we talk about generations and young people. You may be 80 years old. God still has a purpose for your life to deliver some people out of their Egypt. But he also means that at any point in time, God can renew your life and use your life at any point in time. And so he is fleeing and God shows up to him to create a new story of the life of Moses. And he says he shows up in this bush and it's called a theophany. A theophany is a theological term, meaning the appearance of God in regular life. Meaning God shows up, not in heaven, but on earth to relay a message or show us something. God himself shows up on the backside of the desert in the wilderness where no one else is, Moses by himself, and God shows up to describe to him what he was called to do and what he wanted him to do and his purpose in life. And it's interesting, the way he chooses to do it is not from a booming voice, but through a fiery bush, through fire. God's primary way he wants to reveal himself is through fire. And this fiery bush, even in Hebrews, it says, for God is a consuming fire. And I think this story, Moses, what I want to unpack for you today is this is that God still reveals himself through the fires of life. And through the fires of life, we actually hear God's voice many times the most clear. And I think as people, we want to hear the booming voice of God. We want a prophetic word from somebody when you know, prophetic presbytery comes up in July that I, I, I want a word, hopefully it gives me a word. We want the word of God. We want God to speak to us in these clear, distinct, loud, audible ways. What I've learned is many times before God speaks to us in a voice, He speaks to us through an event in our lives. He speaks to us through the difficult moments and circumstances in our life. He speaks to us through the trials and tribulations of our life. He speaks to us through those difficult seasons of our lives. And what happens is you can't have a deliverance moment. You can't have a Red Sea moment. You can't have a a promised land moment until you have burning bush moments. When you have these moments where it seems like everything's on fire, it seems like my life is on fire, it seems like my family's on fire, it seems like my marriage is on fire, it seems like my ministry's on fire, it seems like my church is on fire, it seems like my career's on fire, it seems like my business is on fire, it seems like everything's on fire, and that's when God tends to speak. So burning bush moments are circumstances or events that interrupt our lives and try to draw our attention back to God. There's circumstances, events that happen in your life, in your everyday life, that God wants to use to draw your attention away from your life or away from your desert or away from your past, away from your shame, away from your guilt, away from what you left behind in Egypt and draw your attention back to the great I am. To draw your attention to the I am who I am. To draw attention back to the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he'll use these events to draw our attention back. And, and all of us have probably had these events. Like I, I pastor people, I, like I see these events. The staff that we see these events continually, whether it's the loss of a loved one, 
whether it's a broken marriage or divorce, whether it's a child or went away, whether it's a season of trials and tribulations, whether it's a moment you feel like your life is falling apart, whether it's a moment you feel like you've lost control of everything, it's the moment where it feels like everything's on fire, yet you're not being burned. Feels like a season where you're on the backside of the desert, you're by yourself, no one understands, no one knows what I'm going through, no one can comprehend with the pain, the grief, the shame, the sorrow I'm experiencing, no one can understand because I'm alone on the backside of the desert. Seasons of sin, seasons of shame, seasons of brokenness, maybe it was an arrest, maybe it was a season in which just everybody started figuring out who you truly were, and it seems like the heat cranks up. And when the heat cranks up is usually when God begins to show up. You can ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The heat gets cranked up. Who shows up? Jesus in their midst. And it's in these burning bush moments of life that if you take time, you can actually understand what God is trying to say. Uh, Dina Pastor said, sometimes the moments that challenge us the most define us the most. Sometimes they come surprisingly. Sometimes they challenge us fully to trust and obey God. Sometimes they be fiery trials where you feel the heat, you breathe in the smoke, but you're not consumed. Sometimes there are moments that are powerful and have lasting impressions on you. Make no mistake, they may come in a good day or a bad day, but there are moments in life that stop you in your tracks that God wants to use to draw our attention back to him. I believe the church is currently, Pastor Lee, we talked about this during the middle of COVID, with COVID, with the Asbury revival, with the political strife, I believe the church is in a burning bush moment where the, the, the temperature is cranked up on the church. And not, when I say the church, not the organization, but the people of God. Just this past week, Governor Whitmer in Michigan passed a law making churches, they can be sued if they don't affirm LGBTQT plus agendas, cranking up the heat on the church. Where there's COVID, where there's shutdowns and forced vaccinations and this, and this the, the, the heat from politics, the heat from culture, the heat from everything has been cranked up. And there's this burning bush that's happening. And God is trying to speak from this burning bush. And much like Moses, I think what has happened is on the backside of this desert, for years, the church had influence in Egypt. But we only had influence in Egypt if you looked like Egypt, talked like Egypt, and acted like Egypt. I mean, if you try to be the relevant, cool pastor, if you try to be a Christian, but you didn't bring your views in the, into the voting box, or if you're a Christian, but you don't bring your views outside of the church, if you're a Christian, but you don't inf- try to share the gospel with anybody else, it was fine as long as you fit in with Egypt, you could serve your gods of your past. But in this burning bush, Moses goes from being an Egyptian to a deliverer where he walks back into Egypt, instead of trying to serve and look like an Egyptian, he walks back in looking like a Hebrew and he begins to prophesy to Pharaoh to declare the word of the Lord. And I think what's happening in church, he's changing the church from an attractional model church of fitting in with the world to a prophetic church that declares the word of God over the world. And as that happens, it calls a boldness even Moses couldn't understand. How can I do this? And God says, it's okay, I will be with you you and what is happening burning bush moments are lines in the sand between wandering in the desert to going back into the culture to bring God's will to pass and I think we're seeing it right before our eyes and as a church we should take time to realize when God is speaking what is he saying 
Through COVID, what is he saying? Through the Asbury revival, what is he saying? Through the political tensions, what is God saying? Through the divisions, what is God saying? And that's where a burning bush moment turns into a divine moment. When you finally slow down long enough to pay attention to the burning moments in your life, when you take time to pause and to begin to investigate the fiery seasons of your life, when you begin to examine why it seems like things are burning all around you, when you begin to evaluate why things are on fire in your life, when you begin to investigate the trials and tribulations, when you begin to investigate the seasons that seem smoke-filled and heat-filled, when you slow down long enough to examine why your marriage is broken, when you slow down long enough to evaluate the grief inside your heart, when you slow down long enough to begin to investigate the burning bush moments, they actually turn into divine moments. Because as this bush burned, God didn't speak immediately out of the bush, but it says, as Moses turned aside and gave his attention to this burning bush. It says, as he turned aside and looked at the burning bush, it says, God saw that he turned aside. And when God saw that he turned aside, then God spoke out of the bush. What that tells me is most of us, myself included, have been in burning bush moments that we did not take advantage of to hear God's voice through. What happens when you don't slow down to draw your attention to those burning bush moments, you tend to repeat those moments of fire in your life. You tend to repeat those moments of circumstances that are hot, that are heated, that are smoke-filled. You tend to repeat the cycle until you slow down to actually investigate why the fire is there. Moses was busy shepherding the sheep. I've never been a shepherd, thank God. But sheep are like children. They just wander wherever you want to. It's like having kids at Disney World. They're just gone. And you got to take, where's this one? As soon as you find that one, the other one's gone. You find that one, the other one's gone. So Moses is here trying to take care of his father-in-law's sheep. I don't know about you, but working for your father-in-law has to be the worst case scenario. And if he loses a sheep, it's even worse, worst case scenario. And so, but he takes his eyes off his responsibilities, off the chaos of his day-to-day. He takes his eyes off his responsibilities to focus his attention on the burning bush. And I think many of us, we get so busy with our responsibilities, we never actually take time to give our attention to God to hear what he has to say. And as Moses gave his attention, it says, again, God began to speak. One author said it this way, when we choose to turn aside from the clamor and craziness of life to the one who burns for us with unrivaled love, God takes notice. And this is when he speaks to us, revealing his plans and his purpose for that particular time in our lives. This is a burning bush moment. So the question for you would be, are you willing to be interrupted by God in your day-to-day in the craziness? And two, when you are interrupted by God with fiery moments, burning bush moments, when you are interrupted, are you courageous enough Are you bold enough? Are you faith-filled enough to actually slow down and examine why things are burning around you so you can hear God's voice more clearly? And when you do, that's when you start to hear the voice of God. I think it's when you hear 
God's voice the most. All of us want to cross the Red Sea. All of us want to walk into our promised land. But until you can get there, you have to slow down and investigate the burning moments of your life. And there's four things I believe God speaks to Moses. I'm going to give you real quick out of his burning bush. I think he gives an awareness of his presence. I think he gives a revelation of who God truly is. I think he tells him who Moses is, gives him his true identity in heaven, and then reveals his purpose to him. And I don't know about you, but if you just get those four things out of an experience with God, it's more than enough. You're aware of his presence. He reveals to you who he is. He shows you who you are, and he gives you purpose out of your situation. And so number one is this, burning bush moments burn into us an awareness of God's presence into our lives. They give us an awareness of God's presence in our lives. Burning bush moments remind us that even when you're on the backside of the desert by yourself, even when you're wandering through life for 40 years running away from your past, even when you're running away from your shame, your guilt, your fear, your sinfulness, the murder you, you cause, even though you're running away from God, the burning bush moments remind you that God is still there. And when he reminds you that he's still there, Moses experienced God's presence really for the first time ever in his life. And I promise you, he'll never forget it from this day forward. He encounters God in his burning bush. He carries that experience with him every single day from there. We have to know that no matter where you're at, no matter if you're in prison, you're in Coleman, Alabama, or you're in church, God's presence is with you. It's not dictated by your experience. It's not dictated by your past. It's not dictated by your shame. He's with you. And this burning bush, this season, maybe for you, a burning season of your life, maybe a moment as, as uh, Demi was talking about earlier, seasons where God gets the blame for the heat being cranked up. There are actually moments to remind you that God is still with you. And there's two types of presence. There's the omnipresence of God, that God is everywhere at all time. Like no matter where you go, God's presence is active everywhere. Like you can never outrun his presence. But there's also the manifest presence of God, which when God decides to reveal or magnify his presence to remind you that he's still there. God was always with Moses on the backside of this desert. He was always there. But in this burning bush moment, in this moment of hardship in his life, God began to manifest his presence to reveal himself to Moses so he'd have this constant awareness that God is with me. And so there's two types of manifest presence. There's the kabod glory and the shekinah glory. The kabod glory is the weightiness of God. The weightiness of God, when God reveals himself through the kabod glory, is when you feel God. Well, you know, in worship today, I felt the presence of God today. When I was in prayer outside of my back porch, I felt God's presence. That's the kabod of God. That's the weightiness. The Shekinah glory is the, the shining or the light of God's presence. When he reveals himself to you through that burning bush or through Paul on Damascus Road, where he just blinds you with grace, he blinds you with love, he blinds you with his mercy. And so in your burning bush moments, you have to ask yourself, in the middle of the fire, in the middle of the season of grief or shame or sorrow, in the middle of sin, in the middle of my shame, in the middle of my brokenness, did I slow down long enough to become aware of God's presence with me? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they turned around, they saw Jesus with them in the fire. So the question for you would be, when was the last time you experienced or felt the presence of God? When was the last time you experienced or felt the presence of God? If you say it's been a while, maybe it's time you draw your attention back to the burning bush. Number two, he gives us an awareness of his presence. But number two, 
Burning bush moments burn into us a revelation of who God really is to us. I, I think this is one of the most powerful ones. They, they, burning bush moments answer the question to us, who is God to me? Most, God reveals himself to Moses. I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But then towards the end of it, as God and Moses are having this interaction, Moses, but who should I say sent me? He says, I am who I am. There comes a point in every believer's life where they have to have a transition in their faith from God being the God of their parents and their family to the God of themselves. You have to go from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the God of Bobby Gorley. You have to go from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the God of Brian Holt. You have to go from the God of my mama and my daddy or my, my grandfather was a preacher or my granddaddy was a deacon. You have to go from the God of that to the God of me. He's my God. And what I've learned is those only happen in burning bush moments in life. When, when it hits the fan and things start to go awry is when you truly discover if your faith is your faith or the faith of mommy and daddy. It's when you discover if your faith is your faith or it's the faith of somebody else. And in those moments, what happens is you discover that God is still the great I am. Moses had wandered for 40 years thinking that God had forgotten about them. The Hebrews had been in slavery for 400 years. They pretty much had thought that God had forgotten about them and their oppression. But when he encountered God in the burning bush, it goes from the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the God of Moses. We even sang it this morning. To the God of Moses, the deliverer, the redeemer, who can pull us up out of the pit, who can take us from being up on the backside of the desert to being the deliverer of the Hebrews out of Egypt. Something has to happen. And many times it's those moments we would not want to go through that actually deliver us and deliver our faith. It's amazing to me. I like, I don't have the faith of parents to lean back onto. Like my parents didn't have faith. My grandparents didn't have faith. And so I had my own burning bush moments that I, that I discovered God in. But it's difficult for me when I see people in church, godly moms and dads, godly people, and their sons and daughters are wandering on the backside of the desert running away from God. They've taken off. They're chasing their own career. They got their own father-in-law. They got their shepherd in their own program. They got their own stuff going on. And they're wandering and they're wandering and they're wandering. Why? Because they haven't had that burning bush encounter yet to make God their God. Their God is still mommy and daddy's God. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked the same question. When Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? You know, that's the question you'll get asked in heaven. Well, you know, my daddy said you were this. My mama said you were great. My granddad, he preached a couple of sermons. He was a great preacher. He said this about you. And God's going to say, no, no, who do you? Who do you say that Jesus is? See, he can't be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He has to be the God of you. And Peter even responds, and Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
So on the backside of the desert, in a burning bush moment, Moses discovered for himself that God wasn't some faraway God of his ancestors, that God is the ever-present help in his time of need. He discovered some of you with prodigal sons and daughters, you've been praying, you've been praying, you've been praying, and your kids are wandering on the backside of the desert. I want you to know, I feel like this is a word of God for this morning. You've got prodigal sons and daughters that are not even close to serving God. And they are wandering on the backside of the desert in an Egyptian culture still. They still got Egyptian all in them. They act like the world. They talk like the world. They live like the world. All the things like, and they're on the backside of the desert and they're far away from God in his presence. I want you to know that even on the backside of the desert, God can reveal himself to deliver your sons and daughters back home to the house of God. Moses could not have been further from all the Hebrews. He could not have been further from the faith. He could not have been further from his purpose and his destiny. But even in the midst of the desert, with no evangelist, no church, God decided to reveal himself to them. So our prayer is that these burning bush moments begin to happen in your sons and your daughters, and it will actually slow down to evaluate what is God saying through my trial, through my tribulation, through this season of my life. So I don't know if that's you, but if you have a, you would say a prodigal son or daughter. It's far away, God, and you've been praying. I just want you to stand up real quick. I want to pray in the middle of this message. Anybody else? Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for boldness in this room. I thank you for moms and dads who have the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I think for moms and dads who have raised their kids, trained them up in the way they should go. And your word says they shall not depart from it. And so, Father, right now I pray for every word they've spoken over their kids. I pray for every prayer that has touched heaven. I pray for every sermon they've ever preached. That just as Moses' mom nursed him as Israel, even though they're living in Egypt, I pray all the things that have been placed inside of their souls becomes to the surface. And these burning bush moments, Father, whether through trials and tribulations or brokenness or shame or guilt or conviction, that they'll slow down and you'll speak to them through those moments of life and remind them that you are still the great I am, that you remind them that I am who I am, that you remind them that you are for them and not against them, that you remind them of the purpose you have in their life, that you remind them of the promises you've given them are yes and amen in Jesus, that you remind them that there's still a place for them at your table, that you remind them there's no shame in the house of God, that you remind them that the faith of their moms and dads can also be their own faith themselves. In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Every believer needs a burning bush moment to discover God for themselves. And when they discover him for themselves, it's no longer something mom and dad talked about. It's now he is who he is. I know him. Like it's different between reading a book about somebody and meeting that person. When you meet that person, it's like, I know them. I know who they are. I know their nuances. I know what they're like. And for so many people, what they think of when they think about God is wrong. They think of God as being judgmental, of being, you know, the party pooper, of being the, the oppressor. He's not the oppressor. He's the deliverer. And every believer needs that time to learn that he's still good. He's the loving father. He's rich in mercy, full of truth. He's holy. He's merciful. He's good. He's mighty. He's loving. He's powerful. He's a liver. And he's still a father waiting for them to come back home. And Psalm 30 verse 5 says, For his anger is but for a moment. 
and his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. It's amazing to me. Every single prodigal that I've ever talked to, they reverse the scripture and they think that God's anger endures for a lifetime and his joy is but for a moment. When in reality, it's his favor that lasts and endures forever. It's his favor that endures for a lifetime and it's anger just for a moment. And the anger is usually just the burning bush trying to get your attention back to him. And so the question for you would be, who is God to you? Who is God to you? Is he the God of your mommy and daddy? Is he the God of your grandparents? Is he the God of the Bible Belt? Is he the God of our culture? Is he the God of the church? Is he the God of the pastor? Who is he to you? And have you encountered him? And as you encounter him, then he gives you an identity. Burning bush moments burn into us our heavenly identity. They burn into us who we truly are. You think about Moses. Moses has been wandering for 40 years. He knew he was a prince of Pharaoh. He started wondering if he was Hebrew. He started wondering all these things. He has this murder. Now he's a convict. He wanders for 40 years. He's lost who he is. He's, he's in an identity crisis. I can only imagine, like, our kids being an interracial family, like, it's already difficult enough for them. Are they black? Are they white? Are they this? I tell RJ, I was like, you're not, you're not white enough to be able to shoot, and you're not black enough to be able to jump. Like, you got the worst of both worlds. I'm sorry. Like, it's, so it's, it's, I understand the dynamic of trying to figure out your identity. Like, I understand the dynamic of trying to figure out where do I fit in. And here you have Moses. He grew up in Pharaoh's house. But now he killed an Egyptian. Now the Hebrews snitched on him. He's not accepted by Egypt nor the Hebrews anymore. And now he has this guilt and shame on him from being a murderer, being a convict, being a runaway. Now he's a shepherd. He literally goes from the throne of Pharaoh to the backside of the desert chasing down nasty, dirty sheep. He's in the middle of an identity crisis asking the question, who am I? At 80 years old, who am I? Who am I? Am I Hebrew? Am I Egyptian? Am I Medianite? Who am I? What am I? What is my person? Who am I? And all of us ask that question. But what I think is beautiful about this story is when God calls Moses out of the burning bush, he calls him by name. Moses, Moses, take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. He doesn't say, you convict, you guilty murderer, you Hebrew, you Egyptian, Pharaoh's son, you Medianite, you shepherd. He doesn't call him by his past shame. He doesn't call him by his past guilt. He doesn't call him from where he's been. He doesn't call him from his past. He calls him into his purpose and destiny. Let me tell you, when God calls you, he doesn't call you from your past. He calls you into your destiny. And when you learn to realize that when God calls you, he's speaking to your potential, not to your past. If you hear somebody speaking to your past, that is not God. That's either the Satan or your ex-wife or your mother-in-law. Only three options. We've, we've been brought up on preachers who in order to get a response at an altar call have preached blasphemy by trying to call you everything except for what God calls you. You adulterer, you fornicator, you sinner, you drunk, you this, you this, all this stuff. You never hear. When God encountered Moses, Moses was as sinful as they come. He was a murderer. He's never made a sacrifice. He has never worshiped God. All he has is a story of his ancestors. He's as sinful as they come. And God says, Moses, Moses, 
Gideon, who's as fallen as he could be, afraid. You mighty, valiant warrior of God, come here. You see what Peter, Peter, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. God calls us up instead of out. The problem is we tend to live down to our earthly reputations and shame and identities. We tend to live down to our family name. We tend to live down to our past shame. We tend to live down to our worst experiences. We tend to live down to our worst moments in life. We tend to live down to our reputations instead of living up to your heavenly identity. And I think that's what God was trying to get across to Moses. Moses was on the backside of the desert because he didn't think he could get another job. He'd ruined his last job. He, he's sinful. He's a murderer. He was living down to his reputation. And God came and showed up to raise him up to his actual potential and destiny. And what happens is you need to realize you, have, you may have a name on earth, but you also have a name in heaven. And the whole point, when God encounters you, he's trying to get you to realize your name in heaven is your real name. Like, I, I get this. My, my name's actually Robert Joseph. They call me Bobby. My grandfather's name was Bobby, Robert L.D., Bobby. But as name was Bobby Joe, and my name was Bobby. So at every family function, if you said Bobby, three heads turned around. So they called grandfather Big Bobby, my dad Bobby Joe, and me Little Bobby. The problem is I got taller than all of them, so then it was like Little Bobby, Big Bobby. It was very confusing. But when I got saved, I realized I was living down to my family name and repeating the same junk my dad did and repeating the same junk my grandfather did because I was living down to my name. But when I got saved, I realized my name on earth may be Bobby that may be full of fornication and shame and guilt and all these things. That I could live down to that name or I could live up to the redeemed grace-given name God has given me in heaven. That's the power of name changes. In the Bible, when somebody had an encounter with God, what does he do? He changes their name. Why? He was sick and tired of living down to their past shame and guilt. He wanted to give them a new beginning. The Apostle Paul has an encounter with God on Damascus Road. He was a persecutor of Christians full of murder and shame and legalism. He changed the name from Saul to Paul. Jacob, conniver, con man, con and his dad, con and his brother. He's a thief. He's all these things. When he has an encounter with God, he calls him Israel, which means prince. He changes his name. What he's trying to do is get you to live up to your potential instead of down to your past. I spoke to a guy last week. He was telling me a story. Near the church, he was sharing a story with his, his name. He said, some people know me by this name. Some people know me by other name. He said, here's the story. He said, I wasn't raised by my real, my real dad. Don't even know him. He's never been involved in my life. He's never helped me. He's never fathered me. I was raised by my stepdad, and I was a military brat. He said, I actually had a chance for him to adopt me when I was younger, about five years old. And I didn't do it because my mom was scared my real dad would get mad and bring something up against us. And he said, at the time, it wasn't that big of a deal. He said, so I just said, you know what, it's fine. He said, but at the same time, he was playing t-ball. And when he got his trophy for T-ball for like Defensive Player of the Year award or something to that extent, they put the wrong name on his trophy. They put his stepdad's last name. So his name was actually David Lee Kelly instead of David Lee Fretwell. He said, I never really thought about it until in the last couple of years I changed my name because my, my stepfather passed away. My dad was never in my life. And I just felt I was going through some father issues. 
And I realized that my dad, my biological dad, wasn't my real dad. My stepfather was my God-given dad. He says, so I called my, step, my mom and I said, do you think it would be okay for me to change my name to my stepdad's last name, even at this point in my life, even though he's passed away? And she said, I think that would be very honorable. And in, in his 30s or 40s, he literally changed his name from David Lee Fretwell to David Ethan Kelly. And he wept as he told me, because he said there was this deliverance that happened in my life and my daddy issues were solved because I stopped trying to live down to my father's name, started living up to my stepfather's name. And some of you need to realize that, that what I looked at, and I told him, I said, you realize God had that moment, that one moment with that trophy. That was a prophetic declaration to you that your biological dad's name was not your own name, that your name in heaven was the name on that trophy. And it took 30 years for heaven and earth to come into alignment. Some of you need to realize you may need to change your name. Some of you may need to realize you've been going by a nickname or something that's attached with all types of guilt and shame and junk with it. And it may be time you say, no, that's not my name anymore. My new name is, you know, whatever. My old name was Buki. I'm not Buki anymore. I got cleaned up. My new name is Chip. Some of you have been divorced, and on your, your last name is all the pain and junk from your past marriage. And you keep living down because you think your value is only that that your ex-husband or ex-wife told you it was. It may be time for you to change something and bring heaven down to earth by changing your last name because your name is vitally important. Your identity is vitally important. You have a name on earth that people call you, but you have a name in heaven that God calls you. And that name is full of redemption power. It's full of potential and it's full of destiny. And when you hear it, it changes everything about you. And when you get that name, it gives you purpose. The last one is number four. Burning bush moments give purpose to our pain. They give purpose to our pain. On the backside of the desert, Moses has forgotten purpose. Moses isn't looking to live his best life now. Moses isn't going to, you know, how to figure out God's will seminars. He's not trying to go on YouTube and figure out, you know, how do I determine God's purpose for my life? He don't care. He's just trying to survive. But when he encounters the burning bush, the fiery season, the fiery moment, the smoke-filled moment of his life, his awareness has changed to tap into the presence of God, realizing God is with him, God's not against him. Realizing who God truly is to him, realizing who he is to God, and out of that, all purpose and destiny flows out of relationship with God. All of it. Doesn't flow out of talent and gifts, doesn't flow out of charisma. All ministry, purpose, and destiny and potential flows out of who I say God is and who God says I am. And out of that moment, burning bush moments put everything you have been through up until the point of the burning bush into proper spiritual and eternal perspective. I, I think Moses at the age of 80, I think for the first time, for the first time, everything begins to make sense. The confusion of am I Hebrew, am I Egyptian, the confusion of being raised in Pharaoh's home to being nursed by an Israelite, the confusion of the murder with the justice, the confusion of running in the desert, the confusion of shepherding these stupid sheep out in the desert, the confusion of the Midianite father-in-law, the all the confusion, all of a sudden clarity started to come out. It's amazing. In Hebrews 6, we talk about that God is a consuming fire. What God does, he consumes everything that's not of him, and the only thing left is what is, what is of him. 
And I think Moses, all the fog is burned away, all the chaos is burned away, and he's left with clarity. I think for the first time, Moses starts to understand why he, as a Hebrew, was put into the Nile River. Why he, as a Hebrew, was adopted by the daughter of Pharaoh. Why he was raised in Pharaoh's home. Why he had to leave Egypt and flee to the desert for 40 years. Why he needed to be with Jethro and marry Jethro's daughter. Why he had to shepherd his sheep. All of a sudden, it all makes sense. God was preparing him to be the deliverer of his people. And the perfect person to deliver him from Pharaoh is the one who knows the inside tactics of Pharaoh. Who better to use to defeat Pharaoh than somebody from the inside that knows his weaknesses, knows his strengths, knows his tactics. Who better to lead four million people than a shepherd who's led these stupid, dumb sheep for 40 years in the backs of the desert. Now it's starting to make sense. And when you have these burning bush moments, all the pain you've been through in life, all the disappointment you've been through in life, all the frustration you've been through in life, all the twists and turns you've been through in life, now they all start to make sense sense and what I thought was painful moments what I thought were the worst moments in the world I can only imagine Moses running from Egypt running into the desert thinking this is the worst moment of my life now he's like man God's hand is on that there's purpose in that and I'll tell you when I look back on my life those burning bush moments whether it's in 2009 at our church in, in North Nashville, it was, it was a burning bush moment where there was chaos. There was a couple of DUIs of the founding pastor. There was church tension here. There was lying here. There was sinfulness here. There was all this stuff. And I was in the middle of it. And I hated it when I was in the middle of it. But now looking back, I saw God's purpose. He was preparing me as a pure vessel to protect my integrity and protect my values to protect his church long term. I don't know what you've been through. I don't know the trauma you face. I don't know the fiery moments you've had. I don't know the burning bush moments you've seen. But I do know this. If you slow down long enough and you give your attention to the God of the burning bush and you begin to investigate the burning bush, God will speak to you. And as he speaks to you, he will tell you who he really is. You will encounter his grace. He'll tell you who you are and who you're not. And he'll begin to clarify the confusion and the chaos of your life to bring purpose out of your pain. There's only one, pain is inevitable, but purpose out of your pain only happens to those who love God. As, as Demi said this morning, who works all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. Only God redeems the pain into purpose. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes just for a second. Moses goes from the knowing of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He'd heard some stories, the stories of Abraham, the stories of Isaac, the stories of Jacob. He heard the stories. But in this season of his life, God became real to him. No longer was he the God of his fathers, he was the God of himself. Every single believer needs to encounter Jesus for themselves. Salvation cannot be passed on from one generation to the next. It must be encountered by each generation. 
So maybe you're in this room. Maybe you've been going through a burning bush moment. Maybe it's a report from the doctor that was not what you wanted to hear. Maybe it's you've come out of a broken marriage that just felt like the temperature's been cranked up for years. Maybe it's a situation with a family, maybe it's a situation at work, maybe it's the economy, but whatever. But it just feels like you've been going through a fire. I'm here to tell you, God does not allow anyone to go through a fire without a purpose attached to it. And if you slow down and begin to investigate the fire, examine the fire, evaluate the fire, I promise you, God will call your name out of that bush. And I believe he's calling some of you in this room right now. That maybe some things are starting to make sense. Maybe you realize you have a heavenly identity you've not been walking into, you've been living down to your earthly reputation, your earthly name. I'm not gonna have you stand up, but here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Jesus, if you confess him before others, he'll confess you before the Father. So I'm not gonna have you stand up and come forward, but here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. If you said, you know what, I need that fresh start with Jesus. I need to turn this burning bush moment into a divine moment with God. If that's you, I'm not gonna have you stand up and come forward. I'm going to ask you to confess by simply raising your hand as high as you can raise it. That's me, Pastor. I need that fresh start. I'm going to take that divine moment. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? You can put your hands down if you raised them. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray for you in just a second. I'm going to ask you to do me a couple of things, a couple of favors, because I want to help you as much as possible. We believe this moment is the beginning of walking with Jesus. This is the beginning of Moses' story, not the end of it. I want to encourage you, one, to go by Connection Point and let them know, hey, I, I raised my hand. They're going to put a gift in your hand to help you along your journey. But two, get your information so we can follow up with you. So we want to help you along that journey to walk with Jesus. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for these people who are starting to examine the burning bush of their life, evaluate the high temperature, the heat, the warmth, the smoke, as all that clears away, Father, as they give their attention to it, they realize you've been speaking to them through this bush. You've been speaking to who you are, that you are a God of favor, a God of unconditional love, a God of grace, a God of mercy. But you've also been telling them who they are and calling their name. And so, Father, I pray in this moment of confession that they repent of all their sins, that you cleanse them from all unrighteousness, that you cover them with the blood of Jesus, and you give them a new heart, a new spirit, a new purpose, a new name, a new destiny. And they follow you every day of their life from this point forward. That's why we bless you. We thank you in Jesus' mighty, beautiful name. All God's people said, amen. If you would stand to your feet as we get ready to dismiss, we're gonna have our prayer team come forward. If you need prayer for anything, they're here to pray with you and for you. And as you leave, make sure they'll be at the doors. Make sure you grab a couple of these invite cards invite somebody to Easter Sunday with you. Father, I pray that you bless these, your people. As even Peter said, priests and saints, a holy priesthood. I pray as they leave, they leave in purity, they leave in confidence, they leave in boldness, but they leave with your spirit, by your spirit, to carry your spirit everywhere they go. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.